Some songs are just timeless. Doesn't matter when they were recorded. They'd be a hit in any era. And songs like that are what every songwriter and every artist strives for. When it happens, it's like lightning in a bottle. A lot of times, doesn't happen at all. But for our guests this month, it's happened at least three times. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Now, before we take a look at the resume of this month's guest, just want to tell you this podcast does not happen without the frequent assistance of Songwriter City. Songwriter City is how you bring world-class songwriters to your corporate event or fundraiser. People like our guests this month are Jeffrey Steele, Jesse Alexander, Tim Nichols, Brett James, and many, many more. And given the times we're in right now, Songwriter City can still help freshen up your online meetings with virtual songwriter performances. Find out more at songwritercity.com. Songwriter city.com now forever and ever amen on the other hand when you say nothing at all when the final list of greatest all-time country songs is written those three songs will be there for sure and all three were written by paul overstreet in addition to those stone cold classics paul has written 23 other top 10 hits he had a very successful career as a solo artist and as a member of a group called skylar noblock and overstreet he's an acm cma song of the year winner he's been the bmi songwriter of the year five times he's a member of the nashville songwriter hall of fame paul overstreet it is a privilege to get to talk to you today thank you for being here on write you a song oh you're welcome good to be with you when did you first start to think that songwriting could be something that you could do? Is that something that's always been with you since you were a kid? Oh, yeah. It's kind of strange. I mean, you know, I think people do. They're they're drawn to whatever it is their passion is. You know, a lot of times we don't get to follow it um, because we, you know, we do the nine to five thing, but... Uh, I don't know. I just, when I was eight years old, I saw that movie, Hank Williams, about Hank Williams Sr.'s life. And the thing I liked about it was there was just one scene that kept playing over and over in my head was him sitting at a table with a pen and a pad, and he was writing with his guitar, and he kept trying different lines. And I mean, this is Hollywood, but the way they depicted it, it kind of made me realize that it doesn't all happen perfect in one blast. You know, songwriting is something that you work at, and it's a craft. And when I saw that, I went, that's what I want to do. And uh, it was was just really, I, I don't know, it's just crazy, but it just... It kind of got all over me, and I just wanted to do that. And I'd already been trying to write because I'd been listening to records like Marty Robbins and Hank Sr. and Luke the Drifter. The stuff Hank Sr. did as Luke the Drifter really had an impact on me. And, uh, of course, you know, I love music because of Elvis Presley, Ricky Nelson, and uh, all kinds of people. But a lot, of, a lot of my favorite songs were country songs like Wolverton Mountain and things like that at eight years old. And I just... Uh, I don't know. I loved all kinds of music, and I, I just wanted to be a songwriter and a singer. God, eight years old. I'm not sure I was thoroughly potty trained at eight, and here you are planning on <laughs> becoming a songwriter. <laughs> I was a, well, there are slip-ups. <laughs> I was a slow learner. Um, but you got into, I think, reading your bio, it sounds like you had a, you got into rock and roll for a while. You were into Motown. Um, and did you, like, learn the entire Creedence Clearwater catalog when you were a teenager i did i was in california and a buddy of mine uh, don 
Mitchell was uh, his father and I. My father worked at an insurance company together, and he could play just about any instrument. And our, our fathers hooked us up, and he and I got to be friends. He was three years older than I was at the time, but you know, I could sing, and he would teach me a lot of the guitar stuff, and uh, we and we would play and learn. We learned every song in that book. And Credence was a, I was a big fan of Credence and the Beatles and, uh, you know, it's just the stuff you grow up on. And I think even kids today, they find the Beatles and they realize how great that music was. I remember talking to Josh Osborne on this podcast and he talked about um, specifically uh, the song Blackbird uh, from the Beatles and Uh what an impact just that one song had on him. Yeah, and if you hear McCartney talk about it, it's pretty funny. The way it was written and how it came about, it's really, it's it's an it's an interesting story, but I'll, I'll let him, let people find out from him. I don't really know all the details, but I just remember hearing about it once, and I, I had to laugh. Hopefully I can get Paul McCartney on here someday. Um, but <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> that would be mind-blowing. But uh, <laughs> I, I do want to, when you were learning the music of other uh, artists of the Creedence, John Fogarty, one of the great writers of all time, not to mention vocalists. Um, do, were you learning the writing craft then by just learning their music and their lyrics and the way they crafted songs? Well, I think you learn. I think you learn by everything that you do. You know, it's like it's like you'll you'll start to learn a song and you realize what the writers did, and you go. Wow, that is really interesting. You know, it's a different approach. Like I find that people who write on a keyboard have a different approach to chords than people who write on a guitar. Sometimes, mm-hmm. how do you mean? Well, it's, it, there's things on a piano that happen easier than they do sometimes on a guitar. To me, anyway, um, just just the the process of the chords where they are and how they lay in it. And if they split the bar, like, uh, there was one song, it was one of my favorite songs when I came to Nashville was, uh, most beautiful girl in the world by Charlie Rich. Oh, hey, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? And if you did, was she crying? And I loved that song for years, and I didn't even know that one of my friends, a guy that I made friends with, and was Nora Wilson. I didn't even know he was a writer on that song for all these years, <laughs> till after he died. And it just, it kind of blew my mind to realize he was one of the writers. And I never really worked the song up to play it live, and until one day I was doing the sound check, and I started playing it, and then I went, wow, I don't know the chords to this. And so I had to take a break and, uh, you know, away from it and do something different. But one of the guitar players with me, he he and I started figuring it out, and he started showing me what they did. And it's like a one, well, in the Nashville, we use a number system. It's like a one and a five minor back to the one. It's it's a really incredible chord progression. And if if you study the song, you go, wow, that is really amazing. And there's parts in it that are parts of other songs that you'll notice, like, Stairway to Heaven. There's a little bit of segment in there that has a movement similar to something that was in Stairway to Heaven. Hmm. But, I mean, when you don't really know these writers have 
done all those things until you uh, learn a song that they've written. So anyway, that was an interesting, yeah. an interesting thing to me. But it made me, it impressed me with the writers when I when I started trying to learn it. So, so how old were you then when you decided I'm going to give this music thing a go? When you just really like fully committed to to giving it a shot? Uh, you know, I, I kind of got sidetracked uh, with sports and things like that in high school, and I I just kept playing and and recording all along, but. I think when I got out of high school, I had to make a decision to go to college and um, or do something different. And and I visited one of my buddies that had gone had gone on and enrolled in college. He became an architect, and he and I both had uh, gone through. I, I'd gone through drafting school, like my senior year. We did three hours a day at the Savotech School and <laughs> mechanical drawing. And he went on to have a job, and I went to see him at his job, and he was in a cubicle sitting there, and he drawing all day, and they were telling him, you know, what he had to draw. And, and I just, I didn't think I could, I didn't think my spirit or my personality was really cut for that, even though I loved drafting and I loved, the, I loved architecture. I just didn't think I loved it that much. So I didn't know what I was going to do, but, Wound up in Texas playing, uh, I mean, working out there at a, a Lock and Bar Wagner water heater company. <laughs> my brother wanted me to come out and stay with him for a while. And so I was out there with my buddy, Aaron Holden, and we just went out there after high school graduation. And we went, I went to um, this place called the Melody Ranch one night, and Tanya Tucker and Johnny Rodriguez were playing. And I watched them do their show, and I, I thought to myself, wow, I, I, I might be able to do something along those lines, you know. <laughs> so the next day I went to the construction company. I said, I think I'm going to go to Nashville and do it a try. And they were really nice. They said, well, we'll keep your job open for you. <laughs> <laughs> Which was nice. <laughs> you know. I thought that was, I took that I took that as a nice thing for them to say. <laughs> so, just a a chance attendance at a Tanya Tucker concert years later, you end up writing. Was it two number ones for Tanya Tucker? Yeah, I wrote several things uh, with Paul Davis for her, and uh, see, I I can't. Yeah, we then Don Slitz. She, Don and I wrote a couple of things. I'll Tennessee in my dreams, and won't take less than your love. How much? I owe you to the mother said the son for all that you taught me in the days when I was young shall I bring expansive blankets to cast upon your bed and a pillow for a rest your weary head and the mother said I won't take less than your love sweet love no, I won't take less than your love. All the comforts of the world could never be enough. And I won't take less than your love. Did you know her all those years later? Or was it just, were you able to get the song to her and go, hey, by the way, I saw you way back when? Uh, you know what? I mean, actually, we started kind of running into each other in Nashville here and there. At different studios and things like that. And then 
she and Paul kind of clicked, became really close friends. And then because of that, we started hanging out a little more because Paul and I were good friends. And then eventually she started cutting our songs and it worked out great. Did you know, I've, I've asked so many songwriters this, but when you went, like looking back now, do you wonder where you got the gumption from to 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 go there and give it a try, it, it, like not knowing how steep of a climb it might be? Yeah, I, you know, it was a little bit wacky. I mean, and I've looked at it several times and going, man, if I'd have known how difficult, <laughs> you know, doing that and doing this life is, I'm not sure I would have done it. Wow. If I'd have known it, you know, up front. But I think one of my uh, great gifts in life has been the ignorance and perseverance. You know, that was <laughs> <laughs> That's a song right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a one, and then, and then I am two. So. Did you know you were writing good songs before any of them got cut, before you had that first top five song with George Jones? Yeah, I wrote that one by myself, sitting in the living room at my brother's house in Mississippi. And, you know, I'd been in Nashville a while and been struggling, but that song through Tony Brown and uh, Oak Ridge Boys, that song got cut by George. And, and you know, then it was like five, four years later before I got another cut. So wow. I did know that we had some really good songs, and I couldn't figure out why we were not getting them cut. And And it's, you know... And the answer to that is just really elusive. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes it's, you know, right time, right place. Everything just kind of comes together. And I really feel like it was a, a gift from God that things happened for me the way they did. With time, my face has wrinkled, but my blue eyes still sparkle with the love I felt for you. The day we met To me you're just as lovely As the first time I saw you Times have changed But our hearts haven't yet I'm still the same old me Loving the same sweet you has it withered our hearts? And when our days are through, I'll still be loving you. Even death can't keep us apart. Well, you had a great quote kind of speaking to that a little bit you talked about um there are great songs all over nashville and many of them never get heard they never even get cut and it's just a a lot of happenstance and who you know and and there's luck involved there's also skill and reputation and everything else but that's kind of one thing that's remained true in the songwriting community over the decades isn't it yeah i think so Uh, i think nowadays the Nowadays, it's a bit, I mean, maybe it's always been the same. I don't know. It's just, it all depends. It's like, there's a, it's definitely a business. And and that's what people don't understand is that it's not a talent contest. 
And the best song doesn't always win. It can be that it's a business decision that people record a certain song, and it's like who wrote it, which team they came from, out of which group. You know, the artists come up through a publishing company, and they have all their friends that are writers, and then as they become artists, and they record the songs that their friends write for them, or or maybe they wrote with them earlier. I don't think they're always a writer on them, but that's a different formula than than we thought it was but it may be the same formula that it always was you just didn't know because if you were in one of those groups right <laughs> you were, right yeah. you didn't even realize it you know you're just getting your songs cut and you're thrilled about it so you said it, it was several years before you had another song cut after the george jones song um was it uh was it randy travis was that kind of what broke you and and deeper in the holler uh, yeah, digging up bones tanya. i think it was a song with tanya okay and then Randy came along, and then I had several. I was fortunate to have several uh, singles with him off that first album. I had three songs on there, uh, Storms of Life. Mm-hmm. And then the next album, I had two songs on it, I think. The next album, I had one song on it, so I was slowly fading out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Give us the story behind some of the, the, the Randy Travis classics. I mean, uh, Forever and Every Man is is one of those songs that just seems like it's been around forever. That song kind of had its own its own life, you know, in a way. Uh, Don and I wrote the song, but it was because of something his son was saying. He he was married or getting married. His fiance had a little boy, and he was learning to say the Lord's Prayer. And, and during that process, he... Uh, he was telling me that every his little boy was saying everything like, I love you, mommy forever and ever. Amen. And he was putting forever and ever. Amen. After everything he said. And Don told me, he said, I think that's I got this idea for this song. And I'd played like a uh, 36 holes of golf the day he called me about <laughs> writing it. And I was kind of tired and I went, man, I'm, I'm kind of tired. Well, you want to do it tomorrow? And he goes, no, we need to do this right away. <laughs> and okay. so, I said, all right, well, let me get home and grab something to eat. And he came over, and we sat on the front porch and wrote the song that night. You may think that I'm talking foolish. You've heard that I'm wild and I'm free. You may wonder how I can promise you now this love that I feel for you always will be. This love that I give is gonna be yours until the day that I die. Oh, baby, I'm gonna love you forever, forever and ever, amen. As long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old men, When they recorded it, the producer, Colin, and called me and 
he asked me if I'd come sing the backgrounds. And so I went out and sang the harmonies. And I took Paul Davis with me. And Paul Davis was going to sing with me. And he wound up just taking a fishing pole and going out to the pond and fish while I did <laughs> God, that's country. <laughs> uh, I know, you know, and I could have used it if it had been a big help, but he just out there fishing. He was just like, he was like one of the most unique guys you'd ever meet. <laughs> and that's one of the things that, that makes you, I think, really unique. Um, you, you talk about singing background uh, on that song, and I know that you've, you've sang on other people's songs, but you also have had a very successful solo career and uh, as part of Skylar Noblock and Overstreet back in the uh, the 80s. Um, was that, did that just kind of happen, or were you intent on being a a singer and somebody who would go up on stage uh, as well as stay behind the scenes and write? Oh, you know, I, I came to Nashville to be an artist. And that was my that was my goal. I really didn't I didn't understand how, you know so much about the songwriting uh, business is the way they do it here. I just thought, well, when I get to Nashville, I'll just sign a record deal and make records. And people were telling me, well, you may have to get a job, <laughs> you know, doing something. Until I, I, and I was thinking, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a record out in about a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> wow, ignorance I'm is bliss. You, ignorance and perseverance. <laughs> <laughs> so and so I, I did. I wound up getting a job at a water heater company for a while, and then I got a job down Printer's Alley playing a, a little pub, and I quit the other job. <laughs> How, how did you your your songs find Randy Travis? You said you had three songs on on that first album. Uh, on the other hand, was pitched to the producer Kyle Lenning for Dan Seals, and Dan was Dan was selling about two hundred fifty thousand units each album. I liked the song. I was close to having a record deal, and I liked the song for me as an artist, but. Uh, at that point, I didn't feel like it was fair to my co-writers to hold stuff, you know, and put it on hold and hold it forever. We hadn't inked the deal. We were shopping the deal. And so um, they pitched that song for Dan Seals. And it, Kyle said, I don't really hear it for Dan Seals. And I was a little disappointed about that. And he said, I, I'm doing this new artist, and I would like to cut it on him. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, if it's a new artist, I, maybe I should save it for myself. And the story is that I kind of was driving down the road, and I just felt like there's a Bible verse went through my head. It's more blessed to give than receive. And so I thought, I was thinking about that song at the time, and I just, I said, yeah, I need to let it go. So I just said, yeah, go ahead and go for it. And Kyle and Randy, they did that album, and they cut Digging Up Bones, and on the other hand, and No Place Like Home. And then after they finished the record, Kyle said that they listened to it all the way through, and he said, I don't think I can produce a better country record than that. <laughs> and Randy said, well, I don't think I can sing one any better. And Kyle said, if we can sell maybe 30,000 copies, maybe they'll let us make another album. And that was, that was, he was talking about Warner Brothers, you know, the record label. Uh-huh. And so when you look at the story, 
we pitched the song for Dan Seals, who sold usually around 250,000 units per album. Now, here's a new kid hoping he can sell 30,000 units. And five million albums later, I saw the wisdom, and it's more blessed to give than to see. <laughs> On one hand, I count the reasons I could stay with you and hold you close to me all night long So many lovers games I'd love to play with you On that hand there's no reason why it's wrong But on the other hand There's a golden band To remind me of someone Who would not understand On one hand I could stay And be your loving man But the reason I must go is on the other hand. I mean, five million albums. His album was going up the charts so fast. And they told him, said, your album's in the pop charts. And, he, you know, in radio, pop charts, if you get in the pop charts, it means you're selling a lot of records. He didn't really understand that. He said, well, get it out of there. I don't want anybody thinking I'm pop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's Randy. <laughs> He was, and that's one of the iconic country albums of the last 40, 50 years. I know, it's going to life, man. It kind of kicked the whole, it kicked open a whole new world of country music. And I think our country fans are always there. It just takes somebody with a lot of boldness, you know, that don't, that don't want to be pop. They just want to be country the way it is, you know, and I think it's, I've seen a lot of pop musicians, rock and roll musicians, try to play country songs, and they go, boy, this country stuff's harder than I thought. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's got its own thing, and it's it's uh, it's, com it's complex in its simplicity. Did you know at that time, um, when you were writing, that you would be part of something that would basically shift the landscape of, of country music? Not really. I, I, I think we were, me and... Some of my co-writers, we were just trying to stay alive, you know, just get a, a song recorded so we could pay our rent. And you work really hard, and I think you build up a catalog, and then once that catalog gets found and discovered, then I think, you know, it kind of happens a lot at once, and then you're like, wow. You and Don Schlitz wrote a, a lot of songs together, and one of them, you've got that great story you just shared but then, at least as I understand it, on the flip side, another just truly iconic, not just country song, but just song. It's just a perfect song. When you say nothing at all, from what I understand, you don't remember much about even writing that song? Oh, yeah. I do remember writing it. I mean, I just didn't remember where the original idea came from. Because mm -hmm. Don and I wrote two days a week. And sometimes we would come up with an idea. Like one time I... 
I had an idea for a song. I called him on the way in and just told him this idea. And when I got there, we wrote it. And a lot of times our, our songs came from conversations, but I just couldn't remember. I remember writing the song, you know, the day we wrote it and finished it and how cool it was. But we did that a lot of times and didn't really know where a song, what sparked it. A lot of times we're just sitting in a room talking and we finally find some common ground and then we'll write that. And so that was kind of one of those days for me in my mind. I just remember us like starting to work on it and develop it and, you know, get the melody and everything that we needed. But Don later told me he had had a dream about the song and that he had dreamt the idea. So I guess that's, and as far as I know, that's, I don't have another story to go with it other than that and then and then we did the demo and the first place we pitched it was for Keith Whitley and uh, Garth Fundus liked it and uh, they cut it on Keith and and then it just kind of had took a life of its own it's amazing how you can speak right to my heart Without saying a word, you can light up the dark. Try as I may, I could never explain what I hear when you don't say a thing. The smile on your face lets me wrote for the song if the song was the star for us mm-hmm. the song was the hero then everything's good but if we're trying to write for an artist i sometimes wonder about the quality of the song interesting why um you know i just think if you just if, if all you're after is making this song the best it can be then i think eventually it'll find a home makes sense it's not sexy it's not no, sexy, but, it but isn't. It's, you know, it's just kind of the way it is. No, it makes total sense. If you try to get in somebody else's head, then you're trying to write, looking at it from their point of view and not from your heart's point of view, which I would imagine the best songs have got to come from your heart. Yeah, and personally, I think we have enough egos in our business that, man, we don't need to boost that, you know. Right. The artists are going to have the have a big ego anyway so i think if you just make the song the star you'll be better off one of the things that you're credited with um in in the mid 80s not to mention just the kind of pivot that country music made thanks to artists like randy travis but you also sort of um steered country a little bit away from you know uh, boozing breakup you know, cheating songs, and you added kind of a, a positivity with a lot of your songs. A great example would be Love Can Build a Bridge um, that really hadn't been done a lot in country before. I'm wondering, was that 
any kind of a conscious thing, or, or did that just kind of come from uh, your 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 faith and your belief and and kind of your 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 Christianity? Well, I think um, I you know it, it kind of it's something that happened to me. I don't think I was unique in in that scenario, but I realized that every time I pick up my guitar, I started noticing. I'd look at songs I'd written, and there are a lot of sad songs I was writing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that my life kind of patterned that, you know, and I was like going, okay, am I, am I actually directing my life to be this kind of thing, or is, is my life following the songs I'm writing or what I'm saying in the songs, or, or is it that I'm saying the songs because my life is that way. Either way, I needed to change. And so I did make a conscious effort to not say bad things about me or my life and try to say some things that were positive. And it wasn't about, oh, let's be different. It was just about, I'm going to say things that I would rather have in my life than then woe is me all the time, you know? And so that that was a conscious effort. And I realized Tom Schuyler had the same thing going on in his life. I mean, he and I wrote uh, Long Line of Love, and I fell in love again last night. And it was all because of that that thought pattern of, all right, let's make this a positive thing. Like, I fell in love again last night was I told him, you know, I met this girl. <laughs> I met this girl at the bar the other night, and I said, God, I fell in love again last night. And he was like, yeah. And then he was like, why don't we make it about with the same person again? And it just turned out to be an incredible song still live today because I think people enjoy hearing, hearing those messages because it encourages people. Is that kind of where Love Can Build a Bridge came from? Uh, no, not, not necessarily. The Love Can Build a Bridge thing was just uh, is a thing that Naomi had uh, called me up and said, uh, you know, we've never recorded one of your songs, and I'd like to uh, invite you over. So I went over to her house, and we talked and had dinner, and she's telling me about this uh, funding that they had for a video. They had an album cut, but they didn't have a song for it. And so, basically, uh, I was just sitting there thinking about it, and she was telling me they were going to use the Grand Canyon, and Coca-Cola was all behind it. And so, I was just there silently just praying that God would help me, help them find something, you know. And so, I was sitting there, and I'm thinking, well, if you're going to use the Grand Canyon, in my mind, I was just going, okay, well, if you're using the Grand Canyon, what if you had one, like, two different 
tribes of people that live one on one side, one on the other. How would they, if they were two that somehow fell in love, how would they communicate? And it was just love. Love could build a bridge, and it's a big span. So I'm like, <laughs> wow, you know, that would be that would be kind of the idea of the song. And so she and I talked about that. And then we went our separate way. Well, also, she showed me some lyrics that she had in this book. And I went, these are really good. You need to use them somewhere. Hmm. And so we didn't get that far into the right. And then uh, she called me later. We both were working on it separately. And then we would get back together. And then she called me and said she had gotten... Uh, was so and so, and they had finished it up. So it was a done. It was done, and then it was just turned out to be a huge record for them. And uh, you, you know, it, I mean, how do you, how you know how? It just stuff just happens. I'd gladly walk across the desert with no shoes upon my feet to share with you the last bite of bread I had to eat. I would swim out to save you in your sea of broken dreams. When all your hopes are sinking, let me show you what love means. Love can build a Do you find yourself analyzing, or are you cool with just not overanalyzing and just kind of letting your your talent, your songs speak for themselves? Well, I I find that songwriting is a real interesting process, and they they find their way through. If you if you're open to writing, the more I write, the more ideas I get, and the more songs come. And so if I quit writing, they quit coming. Yeah, you say you, you, you like staying in the songwriter mode. I do. And see, right now, my wife and I, and with, with what we're doing, I'm making my own records. And we we do a thing on Facebook when we, we got shut in down the Cayman Islands for a little while, or quarantine was what we would call it, but... We didn't take the flight out, the last flight out, and they shut the airport down. So we just stayed there, and we started doing sunsets and songs mm-hmm. every afternoon. And I'm like going, "How? this is a lot of work, baby, because I'm telling my wife, she's like, these, these people have requests. They want you to do it again tomorrow. I'm like going, I, you know, this is cutting into my day drinking. <laughs> Because I, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I'm on the beach, I'm down in an island, I can have, you know, I can start tipping one back about 2.30, but if I've got to do a show at 6.15, <laughs> I can't do that. Kills so, the vibe. You know, but it, but so what we started doing was just, and then all these people started requesting songs that I recorded on my earlier albums that I didn't remember. It made me go back wow. and listen to the song and learn it. I mean, I might know a little bit of it, but I didn't know exactly all this, the way it went because I they maybe weren't singles, and I never played them that much live. And so I had to go relearn them. 
But what it did for me is it made me realize that people are hungry for songs, certain kinds of songs, and that I just need to keep writing them and keep recording them. And so we're at Paul Overstreet Music Facebook, and we have a website, pauloverstreet.com. And we, we've done a beach album. I, I, I was writing a bunch of beach songs for some of these artists, and then if they didn't cut them, then I had them sitting around, and I just went, you know, I should use them on a project. So that's what I started doing, and I put that album together. And uh, it's people love that kind of music. And so I've got another one I'm almost finished with, and then I'm doing a new country album, and I'm still writing the kind of songs that people want to hear that came from, you know, the era of songs where they were fun and they just were had, you know, this certain attitude about them. And it may not be the flavor of the week nowadays because people are more into the pop country, the radio maybe. That's the kind of stuff that they feel like their listeners want to hear. But I think there are a lot of country listeners listeners that still want to hear those songs like on the other hand and digging up bones and the fun the humor that's in that a little right. bit lightheartedness could be another podcast so i hope you'll come back um in particular oh just, i will i'll do it just just for me uh the song seeing my father and me um playing that song uh at a point in my life in the relationship with my dad um was that was one of the first times that some kind of outside source made me realize that I was closer to my dad than I thought. And oh yeah. So I hope that and I'm sure you've heard that story a million times, but that really that song and those lyrics really opened up my eyes to who my dad was and and who I was and the connectedness that we had because at that time I didn't think we had a lot. And and that changed my whole perspective so so for that alone yeah, you know, I don't mean to be all sappy, but thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. And I, if you if you have a minute, I'll tell you a little bit about where that song, a little story behind it. Absolutely. Uh, Taylor Dunn was uh, working. We were adding an addition onto our house in Nashville, and he was working for the construction company. And the guy that ran the construction company told me I need to listen to some of his songs. And so I did, and I thought they were pretty good. So I signed him to write, write with for our company. And he brought this idea to me. And my dad had left when I was young, and so we kind of had an on-and-off relationship. Not that it was bad or anything. It was just kind of non-existent at times. Mm-hmm. And so with his situation, with his dad, dad was a doctor and they had this kind of a bond that i could see and i knew his dad really well loved him and and taylor you know he had this idea and i when he as soon as he told me what it was i could see how it would start in in the middle i could just had a vision for it and so i i thought about you know my father and our relationship and just how tough that was and and if you could get both of those elements into that song, you would pretty much capture everybody's relationship with their parents in some way, shape, or form. Because we all had those on and off moments. And then and then at some point when we get older, and it takes a while in life for us to realize, wow, our parents are doing the best they could the best they could to survive and do what they do and and you take a little bit of the judgment away, and you just all of a sudden 
start to appreciate who they were. And, you know, you hope your kids get to that point, you know. And so I kind of wrote it with Taylor about looking at our kids and maybe how their point of view might be someday. And so that's that's basically a little bit of the story behind it. And I think it healed a lot of relationships, that song and the video. God. Now looking back, I can recall the times we disappeared. super successful songwriter for a very long time and you've seen you know different phases and fads and genres kind of pass through um what are your thoughts on contemporary country if you want to share them and what do you think of artists that um sort of are to me anyway a good blend of contemporary but also traditional the luke combs the Dirk Bentley's, the John Parties, the Miranda Lamberts. What do you think of, of artists like that? And just kind of, I don't know, the, the state of the format overall. Uh, you know, it's really unique right now. There's a wide variety out there. Um, like, I, I have a song out with Mo Pitney right now. Do you, have you heard of Mo? Yes. He's a young, he likes doing really country stuff. And I wrote a song with him. It's called Right Now With You. And it's out. It's out on Spotify. I think they're going to push his new album pretty hard. I love that stuff. These are young guys that love country music. We've been doing this thing for a while now. Had our share of crazy ups and downs now. It's good to see we're still around now. Ain't it, baby? Away drifting hearts apart now, but we just keep on keeping that spark now. If love can make it through the dark now, we found a way. Cause I still want to kiss you in a crowd now. Say. Miranda Lambert, everybody loves her. She's just a bit of a rebel. And I've, I've loved a bunch of her songs. And 
and party i don't really know a lot about his songs i'm going to study it i'm going to look into that because i've written with some of his writer producers and uh but i hear he's i hear he's doing some legitimate country stuff which is cool um dan and shay were really good friends of my kids and they I used to wake up in the morning and they'd all be passed out here at the house. And, <laughs> and now they're, now they're out there doing really good. And Shay, I'm telling you, that guy was just a great singer. I mean, yeah. from word, from the word go, he was just, he had it, you know? And, and to me, I thought he sounded like, you know, our friend from Rascal Flatts, mm-hmm. but he could do, he could, he could do anything. And he's just an incredible voice. And so, Gosh, I mean, I've seen so many of these young kids um, coming through, and they're just, a lot of them are just really good people and great talents. And so I like to see everybody succeed, you know, that, that has a gift and get to use it. And and I know that that's the same thing happened with us, because when we came along, we were kind of the new breed, breed and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we had you know, our stuff changed a lot of things and I'm sure there are a lot of people sitting there going, well, what's happening to country music? I've had people say like, well, we had a lot of people come in from New York and LA into the Nashville music business that were in the executive branches. And, and then when she thinks my tractor sexy came out, I had a friend tell me they're saying, they're saying they don't like our song. They're saying tractors aren't sexy. And I'm like going, who cares? <laughs> Who cares what they say? Chesney said, I don't care what they say. We're selling 35, 40,000 a week through Walmart and Kmart. Plowing <laughs> these fields in the hot summer sun. Over by the gate, Lordy, here she comes with a basket full of chicken and a big cold jug of sweet tea. I make a little room and she climbs on up I open up a throttle and stir a little dust Just look at her face, she ain't a fool in me She thinks my tractor's sexy It really turns her on She's always staring at me While I'm chugging You did do She Thinks My Tractor Sexy, and I read that you, you've you said that that song actually does have, as goofy as it is, as fun as it is, there actually is kind of a deeper meaning to it. Well, you know, I think uh, well, it's, it's actually, it started as it's a, true, it's a true event. My wife and I went down to look at tractors and stuff at the co-op down in Dixon. Well, we had, we raised six kids here on our farm, and it was one of the days we got off by ourselves, and we were just uh, looking at all that equipment. And I tell the story just with a little humor to it. So well, after we looked at tractors and all that stuff, we get in the truck. She flipped that divider up in the middle and scooted over there close to me and then started getting frisky like we were dating. And I said, that big equipment turns you on, don't it, honey? <laughs> and people will laugh a little bit, and I go, well, I was talking about the tractors and the bush hogs. And then... But that is how that song started. 
And it's and then I, we went over to some friends' house and they said, "Are you write, writing any new songs? Working on anything?" And I said, "Yeah, I got one called She Thinks My Tractor Sexy." <laughs> and they laughed really hard. And I thought, "Wow, maybe there's more to this than a joke." You know, it was an inside joke for us. But, right. Right. And so the next week, when I had a writing appointment here at the farm, at Jim Collins and another guy with us, and I told him, "I've got this one idea for a song." And one of the guys shot it down really quick. <laughs> he said, man, I don't want to write that goofy stuff. Let's write something different. So we did. We wrote a series song, which we never got cut. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the other guy calls me after the session and said, man, I want to write that song with you. And I said, okay. So Jim calls and I wrote it. She's the only one who really understands what gets me. She thinks my track to sexy. She thinks my track to sexy. Well, Paul Overstreet, it's been, uh, like I said, an honor to talk to you. Um, absolutely one of the iconic songwriters in Nashville of all time. And thank you so much for, for spending some time on this uh, little podcast with us. Thank you, Tom. I'm, it's been good to be with you, and I hope um, hope your listeners enjoyed it. And, and I didn't talk too much. I just I had a little coffee this morning, so I was all fired up. <laughs> no, I'd love to get you back on, like I said, and just talk about your solo career and time with Skyler Noblock and Overstreet and, and everything yeah, else. So. Just tell your listeners, if they want to know any more, is this Paul Overstreet Music Facebook. And my wife's name is Julie, and she'll get back to him. And then uh, pauloverstreet.com. And uh, we are we're also on uh, Instagram and other things like that. Awesome! Thank you so much. Have a have a great uh, have a great Father's Day. This will actually be airing in uh, June, so Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you, thank you, and uh, I appreciate your time. And that will do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Again, thank you so much to Songwriter City. This show does not happen without their frequent. Assistance and Songwriter City is how you bring world-class songwriters to your corporate event or fundraiser. Even though right now we're socially distancing and it's tough to like put a big gathering together, Songwriter City can still freshen things up with online meetings and virtual songwriter performances. Find out more at songwritercity.com. songwritercity.com. Huge thank you again to Paul Overstreet for being our guest this month on Write You a Song, and thanks to you for listening. If you like what you hear, please take a second, give it a review, and share it. All right, that's a wrap. We'll catch you next time on Write You a Song.